2: I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations. The podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognize, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply
3: entertain you. In this bonus episode, I speak to Amy Dunn. My memory is I talked to a solicitor on the phone and boom, that's it. We're in a high court
2: yeah
3: Uh, whatever happened in between that I was too young to comprehend and it happened really quickly oh very quickly very quickly like and as well I would love to thank the solicitor that took me so seriously back then and understood the situation more than I understood the situation as well to understand that is not okay that is not right he must have done his research and actually checked into what the condition was of the child because he, he, he moved quick and we were in the high court in a blink of an eye
2: In 2007, a 16-year-old Amy Dunn was pregnant with a baby girl who had a fatal fetal abnormality. At the time, Amy was in the care of the HSE, so she told a social worker about her plan to travel for a termination after finding out the devastating news. And although she was supported by her family and by the baby's father, she was told by the HSE that it wouldn't be possible for her to travel, which then led to her situation being a case in the High Court. As you'd imagine, it is an intense listen at times, so please do check the show notes in advance. In this conversation, we speak about her childhood, changing from idyllic to chaotic, the ups and downs of her relationship with her mother, and ultimately the unbreakable bond they share today, and how her strength and bravery ignited a social revolution to repeal the Eighth Amendment of the Irish Constitution. We heard about her at the time as Miss D, but today, we hear from the woman herself. Here it is. First up, congratulations on your book, I'm Amy Dunn. You wrote it with Orlo Donnell, who is, of course, the legal affairs correspondent for RTE. Can you tell us about that experience and I suppose your bond with Orla?
3: I have to say, um, not that I knew what it entailed writing a book, but I am so grateful through the whole process that I had, particularly Orla on hand, writing it with me. It wasn't that it was a case of where I would speak and she would write. There was times that were very emotional, nearly every conversation we had. And, you know, over the whole year, she would counsel me and look after me and mind me and just, she would always check in with me to make sure I was feeling okay and... We just really grew very close and I nearly started feeling like she was my big sister through the whole process yeah. and that was a very special bond to have as I don't really have many bonds with people. It, it became particularly close and I learned, I kind of, I depended on her then a lot more but she, she was so willing to be there for me and help me mentally through the whole process. Well, fantastic. When did you meet her first? Um, I met Orla first in my memory doing the Finney documentary but I wasn't TGCAD, yeah yeah, I wasn't aware that she had been the news correspondent at the mm. time of my case in 2007 Yeah, um, but even from meeting her doing the Finney documentary from there on in she was always watching out for me and looking out for me and she knew where i wanted to go in life even then so being a busy woman with her job and her own family she still had so much time for me and helping me guide me in the paths and with the choices i was making at the time before covid blocked everything but she had got me into a few projects as well she's awesome yeah.
2: So, in terms of the book, I would love our listeners to get a sense of, of you. So, can we start with your childhood, what it was like?
3: In my memory of my childhood is pretty amazing, it's colourful. All you see is rainbows when I think in my head. When I was young, my memories are doing arts and crafts with my mom on the daily, you know, going for walks in the fields, um, going to amazing buildings and places in Galway for her. She worked with Mockness. She worked with children. She she built floats for parades. So we were surrounded by the arts and crafts lifestyle and the people that came along with that, and which meant that everyone was just nice. Mm. Um, I got to see so many different things as a child that not a normal child would get to see so for that I am grateful um, a lot of my memories as well as in Jobstown lying down beside the fire with my mum watching the soaps and falling asleep everything was just natural happy and calm I don't ever remember a bad moment where we ever had an argument or I ever misbehaved I was stuck to her hip um, so much so that even under the age of six I was Mitch in school to run home to try and be with her and um, the lollipop ladies would get stuck with me <laughs>
2: Oh, So, yeah,
3: it was just really
2: natural and normal and, and really good.
3: Yeah, we had an unbreakable bond. I mean, literally every day we did plastering on balloons and, you know, there was ribbons and glitter everywhere. It, she it she was, was very creative. She was so creative. I was so creative. She painted the bath. She painted the presses. Everything had a feature in the house. You couldn't take the paintbrushes off of her, but it was gorgeous and beautiful place to grow up with my mom. I suppose for people to get a sense of
2: of your life and what happened you being 12 years of age and this was when you packed your bag and you left for Drogheda but it
3: happened in a hurry yeah I didn't even get to pack a bag I had nothing I had nothing so my my beautiful bedroom in Salins was Nothing was taken from it. I was out playing with my friends. Mm. All I remember is my mom pulling up in the evening time, quite frantic, um, with my little sister as a toddler in the car with my uncle, which I really saw, absolutely loved. He's my favorite uncle. Um, but he was like, come on, Amy, get in the car, we're going. My mom had a way of making everything seem like an adventure. So it was like we were going on this quick holiday, just us girls, you know, so... It was only when it got dark and we got to this place, which I didn't even know how to pronounce Strada. I was like Jogida. Um, We got there and I remember seeing these big stable doors and it's a big red brick building, but I loved horse riding back then. So it resembled that area. So to me, it kind of looked nice. I was like, oh, where are we going? And when I got inside, I, I knew my mom was really upset on the way down, but she kept reassuring me everything was okay. I didn't quite know at that stage that things weren't okay. It took a moment because when I was brought into this lovely place, which was a women's refuge, um, they were so good in there. And I was brought to a playroom and distracted with toys straight away. Yeah, I was 12, but I was I was baby hearted as well inside. And I had my little sisters, So it was only as time went on and we stayed in this refuge that I realized we weren't going home. I wasn't going back to my friends. I wasn't going back to school. Um, I had nothing, literally, but the clothes that were on my back. Um it was such a strange time. I mean, it was six months in a re- women's refuge, day by day, waiting to see when we were going back home. Um, Why did you leave in such a hurry? My mom and my stepdad, it, it was, they had a big argument. Um, obviously things got really bad at home. Um, and that's a personal situation between the two of them. Thank mm-hmm. God I wasn't there to physically see what happened. But my mom had obviously had enough at this stage and decided that she needed to go to a safe place with her and her children. And looking back, she made the right decision. But it's very sad at the same time. We had to build from scratch again build our clothes up again I remember even being brought into a room with loads of shelves and secondhand clothes in it and even though I'd had a good life and had had nice things I was still excited to get these secondhand clothes I felt like I was going shopping again and and them little moments stick out for me and the moments when you know you had to share a sitting room with so many different random families I had I had to see a lot when I was staying there a lot of women who came in like they weren't okay and they were coming from crazy, different kinds of backgrounds that I had never had to see growing up. And this is where I feel like the real darkness came over my life, where I realized my mom was not okay all the time. This beautiful ray of sunshine that made everything okay. She she wasn't coping. Um, my little sister was crying. She would be crying. And then I'd be crying. We had a bunk bed um, in a small room we all shared together. And we'd take turns of who would get a cuddle each night. And the other we'd all be crying separately to each other. We, we got some counseling there, but... I was only young. I didn't really understand what was going on.
2: So a really confusing, a confusing time in your life to go from that, the safety of your home environment um, and your friends and, and everything that was normal to you, because you'd only had a two year period anyway, living
3: in Salons. So you were only probably starting to settle there. It literally went from yeah so I was a Dublin girl moving to Kildare yeah. and back then you know like I remember my stepdad in a funny way he made me wear my Dublin jersey to school on the first day and there's even photos of me having a tantrum I would not go in you know so I, I didn't really get the best start in the school anyways um, and I was only after settling in and we lived by a beautiful canal and I love Rosie and Jim growing up and we lived beside all them Rosie and Jim boats it was, it was like another little fairy tale to begin as well you know even though I didn't have my mum to myself it, it, for me it felt like a very happy environment in general because um, I just had my mom there. To go to a place where I knew nobody, my mom knew nobody, we had nothing. We were homeless. I knew then at this stage we were homeless. I was 12. I was a preteen as well and I found it very uncomfortable because there was boys staying here too, children. And I was at that conscious age, My I was developing and it, I found it disgusting even having to share a shower with so many different people some you know that weren't so clean and everything just bothered me I I would not want to shower myself or put my feet on the floors and it wasn't my home you know and it wasn't it wasn't meant to be for that long for me people would usually stay in a refuge for a few days or a week or so six months is is a big chunk of your life to, to spend in a refuge you know and sneaking in and out the doors that's what began to happen when I the more I knew I was staying in a refuge and we would go out into the town and come back like you wouldn't want anyone to see you going in these doors you know. During this time how was your mother's behavior? It was starting to decline like I have not really much memories of my mom being great or okay and even I I suppose I spent a lot more time with the staff of the refuge. Maybe she was off getting counselling, trying to sort finances, sort somewhere for us to live. Um, I would spend a lot of time in the crash. Now, for me, in my head, I know they reminded me, but I felt like I was doing work experience because I was probably the oldest kid in there most times, and I would help out with the children. So I felt like I was of value somewhere, and I was needed. And the women were lovely, thank God. But they're they're. The memories only I have in there is trying to share a kitchen with loads of other families fighting over who gets to use the TV and, you know, the tiny bedroom. I I don't have a lot of, I've no memories of, of us being together, together in the refuge. It was just hectic.
2: Yeah. During this time, your mum
3: was suffering with depression. So she was on. She was on a slippery slope. She was. Okay. She was going downhill a bit fast and she never drank. She was never a drinker, so I would have never saw my mom drink. And mm. I don't believe that happened when she was there either. But I had learned that drink wasn't a nice thing. There was one or two times where I did see the women my mom had bonded with sneak in their little bottles of, of vodka and... Um, not saying there's anything wrong with that but it wasn't allowed and I didn't feel comfortable with the situation and I would you know I was I was 12 so I watched out for my mom what she was doing making sure she wasn't drinking and that's kind of I think where the arguments started to begin I was I was a hormonal teenager and I was very frustrated and confused with what the hell was going on in our life right now it was only when we moved into our new house that things got really really bad what happened My mom had her own property in Dublin, which she had sold, so... In a sense we were financially stable we moved into his big old scary house that was used for the workers of a factory it was on factory grounds and um, it was basically a derelict house there was like six or eight houses along the road huge huge houses sculleries and you know side houses for the cleaners back in the day my mom made an art room in there as i said she had gotten some money she'd done what she could to the house to make it nice and what happened i am my memory is, like, say every month we'd go to the shops. I mean, my little sister, my mom, and she'd buy a bottle of champagne and buy us loads of treats. And I even remember the treats like I, our magazines and our ice creams, and we loved silver mints and Milky Way. So we got all them little treats, and we'd come home, and mom would have her bottle of champagne. But then that turned into say every two weeks. Then it was every week, and in the blink of an eye, it was a daily occurrence. And then even a morning occurrence um in the house so while we were staying in a town where we knew nobody we weren't in an estate either where there was anybody else to lean on or distract myself where there was just a field outside at this stage my little sister was getting more time with her father and i was kind of the lingering teenager at home annoying my mother well my my mother you know took to the bottle a little bit more and understandably so I can see why she did that but back then for me as a teenager um, it was very scary and it was a very hard time for me there'd be times I really worried about if she was going to wake up you know I didn't realize as well it was the mix of Xanax Pro and alcohol but she wasn't aware about them medications and mixing it with alcohol and obviously having not been a drinker she wasn't really able for alcohol she would have one glass and she she would slur you know so um things got really 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 bad how bad you know there was <laughs> there was times when i remember going to school and she'd forget to collect me and i didn't even know where i lived <laughs> there there was moments where she would say she was leaving with Claire and running away. When it was me, she was always going to run away with. And we would have serious arguments. Where I'd have to take the keys because she was severely intoxicated. There was times where she'd go out and she wouldn't come home. Um, and there was a lot more things that to protect her, I don't want to say because I don't hold a grudge on her or hurt on her. But it did happen. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot happened. Um, things got actually more worse when I moved to the nice estate afterwards when I was in school. That's that's when it got really hard and tough when I was really trying to keep up appearances because I'd had a hard time and I had no clothes and things like that. When we eventually got ourselves sorted, we moved up to a normal estate, which we thought was going to be another fresh start again. We had neighbours. There was kids from my school living in the estate. I was hanging around with them. I, well, I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. I was ashamed that we didn't own the house. We rented it. I didn't understand things like that when I was younger. I'd just seen people owned it, their houses and I knew a man gave us this house we were paying money for. And then my friends all had a mom and a dad around where I lived. And I just felt really singled out. We were from Dublin. We knew nobody. And my mom at this time was... A real alcoholic, um, who obviously took solace in meeting people in town. She made the wrong friends, and you know, an alcoholic finds another alcoholic, and they become great alcoholics together. And you know, there'd be times I come home, and I didn't know the people in my house. They would take advantage of my mum, like my mum. I get a lot from her as well. Like she sees the best in everybody. I became friends with some bad guys from other areas. When I say bad guys, I didn't see them as bad guys. They were teenagers and they were giving me a lot of attention. And eventually I'd go out and say hello to them. I was a new girl on the block. And back then as well, the way I dressed, I didn't realize I wasn't dressing to be sexy. I was a little girl. I still played with my Barbies. I lo- I actually fought my little sister when she'd take my Barbies and I was 12. Um, so I still had this innocence of brain but it really quickly changed. These guys, I mean, before I knew it, I was getting in robbed cars. I was, you know, my mom locked me in. I climbed out the bedroom window. She couldn't stop me anymore because I'd lost respect for her. And she'd lost the, the fight to keep me in anymore. She couldn't hold me down. She was suffering with her drinking. So while she was drinking, I took to the streets and, and things got really nasty. I ended up in different foster homes for all together my little sister spent a lot of time with her dad and um, I I remember really where it all kicked off was my mom went to do the shopping one day and she just didn't come home and I didn't let anyone know for a long time but there was nothing in the presses like when we didn't have food we didn't have nothing <laughs> yeah. not even seasoning and she went to do the shopping and she, I don't want to hurt her with this, but this is, what, you know, that's what happened. And um, she, she didn't come home eventually after many, many, many hours. I didn't even, don't even think I had credit on my phone. I had to use the neighbor's phone and my little sister got rescued by her dad. And nobody came and rescued me. Um, and <clears throat> um, that's when I had to find out where a social worker's office was on my own. And I went down to the social workers, but in that moment, I've gone down there and going back to my house the locks were changed by the landlord and everything we owned and had built back up had been gone I never got anything back again so we have even special letters from my dad um, my clothes my school stuff I had flip flops on and uh, I remember an orange gypsy skirt that was out back then and I lived in them clothes for a while and eventually the social workers helped me out and then in between that as well,
2: where had your mum gone?
3: I I don't I don't know, she was just drinking. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, and then she'd go and get help, and we'd come back together, and then we go homeless, and we were in a homeless shelter. So it was a vicious circle. It was a it was a it was a crazy vicious circle. Even in the homeless shelter, it was, it was you know made the refuge look like a a five-star holiday home. You know, we were sharing an area with drunken men who they wouldn't put anywhere else. It was a vile, vile, disgusting place. You you didn't want to sleep on the beds in there. It was nasty. And my mom went again and didn't come home. <laughs> and I was in another foster care then.
2: So when you say that you had at this point, because I know, you know, you do have an incredibly powerful bond with your with your mother today. It goes that saying, but you're speaking about this time in this phase in your life. When you say that you had lost respect for her, how did you feel about yourself at this time?
3: (sighs) I didn't really feel there was anything of myself. Like, I didn't even have one person. I don't even know how I did what I did I don't even know how I stayed in a homeless shelter And knew my mum wasn't coming back Like I don't know how I don't know how I how I did them I don't know how I did them things But I did um, And I don't hold a grudge Because having been put in the same circumstances I have to say I don't know how I'd handle the situation But I saw a lot of disgusting things And I think it really was only for the boyfriend I had at the time, which I misunderstood the possessiveness for caring. I'd found a dad and a boyfriend and a brother and all this and really is the only thing that kept me going on what I had because the time that she didn't come back that time, you know, I had to lean on him more. And his mother had to let me stay in the house. Like I, I can't imagine, like if my son came home with like a girl and was in this situation, And it, it's actually a bit crazy to be honest. happened so many times. <laughs> so the 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 more I suppose dysfunctional your relationship
2: was with your with your mom the more you were drawn to this relationship with this
3: guy. Absolutely. I didn't know any different. And if anyone slayed me, a, showed me a slight bit of interest, I'm hooked. I'm yeah, hooked. I have yeah. nobody, literally not one person. I mean, I know a family and I know my family love me in Dublin, but I don't think anyone was aware and I wasn't aware that nobody was aware. All I was aware was nobody gave a damn about me, you know, and I don't blame my mom for that because when you're intoxicated, you don't you're not doing anything deliberately. She needed help and she was trying to get help. And I am in awe of her looking back at the amount of time she went in to get help. But they let her out all the time saying she wasn't an alcoholic <laughs> like like they do with many people, you know, like she didn't have a problem. She needed counselling. I don't know how, how they get around that area, but, you know, it, it's still it's still the way it is.
2: So you were in this relationship with this guy, but then you wanted to kind of do your own thing and get a job and be independent
3: yeah and well as well in this relationship i kind of been pushed out of school i was getting bullied from who the guy, the guys were that i was hanging around with and my boyfriend at the time was very very possessive and controlling and it didn't suit the relationship for me to go to school or actually be around anybody or wear certain clothes or did I ever own makeup no I wasn't allowed I didn't care though because he was my one and only anything you say I'm gonna do but if something came over me and I applied for a job and I got it and my whole thank the lord my whole view on life changed with doing that that didn't work for my boyfriend at the time he was not able for this you know they live in an arrested development around there you know there's been a stunted growth they don't really see outside their own box but I had seen so many boxes that I'm open to anything and I had a different view on life I got my job I started hanging around with people who were saving for college who were renting their own rooms were doing all these different things I mean so myself and my Boyfriend broke up. He, there was times he came up to my job aggressively, and the the staff would have to get involved. Um, so I we we finished, and I was going about my own life. Got myself like a moped, and you know I actually had an argument with my mom. And instead of going to a foster care this time, I pretended to a woman. I was eighteen, and I rented my own room in a house, and I enjoyed playing like grown up girl for a little while, as making my own little bolognese after work, and it was kind of a cute little time before my mom ended up taking me back home. She didn't realize I'd actually leave and I'd go and do it. But I actually surprised myself at how independent I could be. But when I went back home to my mom, eventually, you know, with my partner would sit outside my job or outside my house for when I'd finish. It got to the stage where, okay, we'll, we'll get back together. And I kind of, you know, well, what was going on with my mom at home when I didn't want anyone else to know, he was nearly a comfort zone. You know, I didn't have to explain anything or get into anything. He knew the shit show I was in. His life wasn't the greatest either. So we were two shit shows together. Um, and I was I was apprehensive about being with him. And I mentioned wanting a baby. I actually didn't want the baby when I said it. I was kind of trying to scare him away because that's going to scare any guy away. But he, he pondered. And he thought about it, and he said he was kind of into it. And I remember this was like in a November, two thousand and six. Um, and and you were what age? Sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. So wow, a lot happened. I was sixteen, got a job, and did all that. And, yeah. And um, then we didn't try and get pregnant. We just weren't protecting ourselves, and the idea was growing growing more and more and for the idea of myself and himself I loved each other so much and we were going to have a baby and you know this is our own family we we're going to have now i was going to have what i always wanted this security and i was going to be a great mom la-di-da.
1: Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: So when you found out you were pregnant, how did you feel?
3: Oh my God, like... I was shocked but like we were all crying but then happy within minutes like it was like everything both sides of the families needed it was it was like a little ray of sunshine of something to focus on for all of us I mean within moments all I remember is going shopping I love shopping so it was an excuse to go and pick out some buggies, clothes we were we were well excited we're on our way to having our own little family now so that was the the new world again I was after going into the, the rainbow came again and you know me and my partner decided then we were going to get our own place we had all the plans in place of what we were going to do this meant I didn't have to I didn't have to be taken away again and all these different things but actual matter of fact my mom and myself had had another altercation which was enough was enough and that's where I ended up in a b and while I was pregnant and that's how it came to be how the social workers were involved with the case so my mum and myself had an altercation um, an ambulance had to be called because I knew I was pregnant I was afraid that I did something like something could happen to the baby which it didn't and um the social workers got wind of it, and I was put into a B and B this time instead of a foster home. But I had a lot more freedom, and because I was already pregnant, even though I was only sixteen, my partner was allowed to stay with me in the B and B, which was miles away from the town. I was very excluded from everything. I find that ironic, though, that I was put into a B and B with you know, it was an open B and B for like builders that be coming in out, and the woman who ran it was a glorified alcoholic as well. So that made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, instead of sitting on in a shitty bar she was drinking fine gins and it just wasn't nice so i spent a lot more time sleeping on my partner's couch in his family's home and
2: on your 17th birthday you went for your first scan
3: yeah so I'll never forget that moment is that morning so I was I was at my partner's house and his his house would be busy in the mornings the mother would be up early and the neighbors would be in drinking coffee and having the gossip and everybody was all excited to find out what the sex of the baby was it was my 17th birthday it was a, going to be the best day ever you know and um everybody waved us off and my mom was on her way up everybody was going to be there and then we we went in for our scan in the hospital and it was only a young nurse I felt like she wasn't even much older than me at the time and I remember doing scan and everything was fine and we were chatting away about you know the do's and don'ts and explaining the pregnancy and then she just had this really confused look on her face they didn't find it a problem though just thought she didn't know what she was doing and um, she got more and more a confused look and she went to get a doctor and then the doctor came back in, a very nice man I remember and he started explaining to me my daughter had no skull. I mean, at seventeen, I don't even think if I was forty, would I be able to comprehend what I was about to be told back then? And I didn't. And um, he told me that she had had anencephaly; um, she would never survive. And, and
2: you that, know, that basically is a condition where the brain doesn't grow; it doesn't
3: form. And she actually it. was severe; um, she had a severe form of it too. At this stage, I I just the usual me panicked ran we actually ran out of hospital jumped in a taxi went home my mom and his mom was there waiting they thought we were exaggerating they were like no relax calm down until we go to the hospital and we find out what it is I had the word on a sticky note (laughs) and straight away onto google I went and life literally went to its craziest point from that day forward everything just went upside down
2: Because before then you're you're planning your future with your
3: little baby. Um, I was so excited excited to be pregnant. Yeah, Yeah, I was so excited to be pregnant. And I did everything possible in the world in that time with. I did everything possible to figure out how i can fix this situation you know like when you find out a child has has an issue you try and find the cure and even though i was only young and i but i had google so i googled everything and every single thing i googled had a dead end there was no chance of survival The pictures were disturbing. Yeah. Um, There was people who chose to go to term. I looked at them. I tortured myself looking at everything. The longest possibility you would have got was a few hours with the child. I, I remember at that moment standing, looking at my belly. And being infuriated with everybody around me. They were all getting on with their day after they found out about what happened. I'm not saying the parents were, but the brothers and sisters and the friends who had come to celebrate my birthday. Everyone was just doing their own thing. But I was like, this alien is in my belly. I need to get this out. That's what I felt like at the time. I was like, you know, even with my partner, I know he was so upset, but no one could have been as upset and stuck to the situation as I was. I just wanted to rip my stomach out. Um I really, really did try my best to try and figure out a way around the anencephaly. No one had ever heard of it before. It was such a rare condition and there really, really was nothing I could do. So when I figured that out, I knew I had to have an abortion. I knew she needed to come out. I just knew I wanted the problem gone. I had always wanted my baby, so that devastated me. I wasn't into abortion, but to be fair... I didn't really know about abortion. We never were brought up talking about abortion. I definitely never had conversation before that time about it, nor was it said in any school setting or anything. So I had to go and then research and teach myself about all the different procedures you can have. But I knew at that moment I needed her to get out of my stomach. So I had to figure it out. So which I went to what was meant to be, I guess, my parents' you know the social workers there who were looking after me and I only went in and spoke to the head social worker thinking like I never would have thought that I wasn't going to get the help and support I needed the whole thing got twisted and dirty straight away I was in fact told in that moment there was there was no compassion for what I was after telling him he had told me I'd be done for murder if I if I did do this. He told me that I'd be arrested and anyone who went with me would be an accomplice to murder. He told me my passport had been stopped. He told me he'd notified the Garda station. I was so flabbergasted at how are these parents not doing what's beneficial for my health right now? And I was already in a bad place in life. Things were not okay. This was the only thing I had. And then I didn't have them either. I didn't feel then I had anybody that I could talk to. It was only for my mom, somebody whispered in her ear, you should get a solicitor. Like, why would you get a solicitor, you know? I don't know. But just I rang a solicitor. I talked to a solicitor for a few minutes. That's my memory. So maybe it was different. My memory is I talked to a solicitor on the phone and boom, that's it. We're in a high court.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: whatever happened in between I was too young to comprehend and it happened really quickly oh very quickly very quickly like and as well I would love to thank the solicitor that took me so seriously back then and understood the situation more than I understood the situation yeah. as well to understand that is not okay that is not right he must have done his research and actually checked into what the condition was of the child because he he moved quick and we were in the high court in a blink of an eye
2: so you're trying to process this heartbreaking news that your, your baby is, is, is not going to live and you are feeling all these different emotions because you're trying to process it. Then you go to the people that you feel can help and that you like to think you can trust and they're not there for you at all. And then you're in this, the madness of a high court um, situation. I just can't really get my head around it. At seventeen, trying to process all of Mm that—is it—is
3: it it a blur? Is that time a blur? Some in the court situations are a blur because I couldn't even understand what was going on in the courtroom. You know, like like at first when you go in, I don't remember there being protesters around. I'm learning now that, you know, you need to go to court to apply to be in court to break it down, to be very dumb and silly about it. And so there's a lot of boring things in between and going back and forth. But then I just remember all of a sudden, which isn't a blur, it was very clear, vivid memories I have of the pro-lifers outside the courts. Now there was pro-choice too. But to be honest, back then, it didn't matter if you're pro-choice or pro-life you were just a gang of people shouting it about my business and I remember standing in the courtrooms and all these men standing in the room talking the courts were filled I I, there was the normal public were in the rooms I had people pro-life people and Christians come over and pray over me and call me a murderer um, only for I had my solicitors at a time. Mean, a lot of disgusting things happened back then. It even turned out one of the one of my mom's closest friends was there every day, was a Christian and she was there hoping we'd lose. Literally lost faith in everybody. Whoa. Um, um and I know that I. F- well I feel that, you know. The social worker, as well personally, I feel like if I'd have gone to a different social worker, maybe things would have been different. Because I don't believe it was just about the legality of the situation; there was definitely a religious view straight away. Because he didn't take the time to have compassion and understand my situation, he jumped straight away yeah. to make sure that this never happened. And then, in during the court case, I've been sent to different psychiatric hospitals, and they manipulated the whole situation. They put me in a taxi and say I was going to one place, and made them detour and go to another I mean things I had to see as a young child in mental homes you know the white walls long corridors there is really people sitting there doped off their faces sitting on chairs three times my age I remember being asked by psychiatrists to do multiplication questions and I remember the social worker sitting in with me as well which shouldn't have been allowed now I know back then and I remember the, the psychiatric doctor saying that I was actually of a very sound mind and I actually learned about how kind of emotionally mature I was back then but the social worker whispered in my ear that I should stay there anyways and take medication or relax and that's actually when thank god my boyfriend was there And thank god he was possessive because he wasn't leaving me and he wasn't leaving me anywhere without him so thank god and uh, he he made calls to you know our moms and stuff like that and the solicitors and they made sure they sorted the situation out before I was I was being convinced to voluntarily sign myself in. Now, I did not know what would happen if I did that. But all they wanted to do was prove that I was suicidal. And damn right, I was going to say I was because I wasn't. And I believed whatever was going to happen was meant to be. And I believed I deserved to have what I was asking for because I wasn't trying to be a murderer. I genuinely had wanted this baby. I just wanted help. I needed help.
2: And the reason they were saying this was the only the only reason an abortion would have been granted back in 2007 was if the woman was suicidal.
3: Yeah. Now that wasn't made very clear to me either. I heard that's why they were doing it. Uh, But I never was going to turn around and say I was suicidal when I wasn't. When you weren't, yeah. When I wasn't. Like I wasn't. That's a very, very, very big statement to make. And I knew back then from what I was after going through and what I'd seen as a child if I made myself out to be suicidal there was going to be repercussions for that afterwards and I didn't want to get signed in somewhere when I actually felt very clear and strong minded and what was going on yeah. Um, I was things just got really bad and it was very frustrating especially looking back as a grown woman looking at all these strange men in the courtroom deciding the fate of my life with my body it's, it's infuriating and it, I still don't get it yeah yeah yeah
2: can you talk about the day um, the judge spoke and gave his verdict?
3: I didn't go that day. That was yeah. I'd actually had enough of court at that day. And I remember getting the phone call from my mom saying, you won. And the solicitor. And by God, did I not win? You know, during the court case, I, des- I was making different decisions. And I was keeping on researching and torturing my brain. And I didn't know if I wanted an abortion anymore. And, you know, for everyone, you won, you won. And I was like, this is only the start now that the hustle and bustle is over of the courtrooms the real tragic personal situation begins of what the hell am I going to do now that I have a choice now that I have a choice I need to make the right choice and I it brought the reality back and you know during that time my tummy was after growing I wasn't just carrying what I had said at the start an alien I had felt the flutters of her going to the court I connected with her she wasn't just like a situation anymore. She was my baby. She was Jasmine. I, I I really loved her and wanted her. I knew she was a girl. I, like I was so attached to her at this stage, and it was very heartbreaking. Then to have to go and meet up with people and sit like I'm looking at a menu and planning which procedure I'm I, I want out of the booklet, you know. So a lot of lot of heartache came after winning. They say in the court case, I don't feel like I won at all. And if. Things that had been done correctly, I believe, in this situation that I had, I should have been supported and looked over in Ireland instead of having to organize bringing a coffin back like luggage from a different country. There were there I didn't win at all. Yeah.
2: So you went to, you went to Liverpool for the as you said the procedure and, and having to decide.
3: Because what it, to do. Yeah, because the gestation I was at is all my pregnancy. Um, you, you were know, 19 other,
2: weeks at the stage.
3: Yeah, so I other options became available to me. You know, they're not allowed to help you pick, but they can point at something for you in these family planning clinics. And um I became aware of an induced labor. And that was it for me. I, I was so happy. I felt like I could give baby Jasmine the respect she deserved. I can push her out. Um I'd learned about how abortions happen and I did not feel comfortable one bit whatsoever. So I decided to have to induce labour and that gave me so much peace of mind. I obviously didn't plan the flights. I was only a child. I didn't plan the procedure. I just said what I wanted and it was organised for me, which is the most infuriating part, I feel like, of my whole life, really, of how that, that panned out. Whoever planned this situation for me going to hospital in Liverpool, didn't plan it properly. They never put thought or empathy into what's going to happen, what it entails to deliver a baby, an induced baby. You know, you don't go over there and you pop a baby out and then come home. You know, I I had to go into an induced labor. I spent days over there and by the time, by the time I had her, it was time to go. Yeah, you had to leave straight away. Mm -hmm. When I get over there, we got the... I went and settled in the hotel and it was another strange time I'll get into it where the two mothers came and my partner and I was on medication I was starting to feel very sick there were three or four days before I was taken into hospital to be induced and when I was in to be induced the labour did last 16 hours um, it was torturous and painful at this stage I wasn't aware that Jasmine had already stopped reading. so I was adamant that I would not take any medication. Um, and I was suffering a lot of pain because in my innocence, I believed that she might take a breath. Even though I knew going to full-term, she wasn't even going to survive. I just felt like if she'd take a breath, I'd get to see my baby. i get a birth cert, all the rest. Um, I remember looking at my mom hours into labor and her promising me and make, telling me to trust her, holding my hand, telling me to take the morphine and that I needed it and I'd be okay. And it was in the middle of the night then that I remember giving birth to Jasmine and pushing her out. And even after that, I didn't understand what an afterbirth was. I mean, that's how young I was. And the afterbirth was actually bigger and harder to get out than Jasmine. And in that blur of a moment, I remember after that, I just remember blood and the baby being taken away and, and I passed out. So, this is in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning, and I pass out and <laughs> and then, like my boyfriend wakes me up and puts me in a wheelchair, and I have a room next door with the baby in it and It took a few times to go in. It was very emotional, and oh, my God, when I seen her, she was like perfect; she was a baby, she had toes, she had fingers. She had nails, she had little legs, she had little knees. She was in a little dress. and uh, Her nappy was the smallest nappy you could probably ever buy and nearly took over her. Her um, band that is usually around a baby's wrist was around her tummy. Even though she was so small, she was so perfect. She had every feature, except for the fact that her face was covered. And that's what I'm really angry about. Um, I'm not angry her face is covered. I'm angry that I wasn't given enough time. To process the situation, to see my baby, and uh, I still haven't seen my baby, and I'll never be able to not be okay with that. I can, I can get through everything else, but like I still wish I see my baby's face. Um, I was thought like, I could look at her face if I wanted to, and I know some of them did, but I still wasn't even sober, and they were like doing things on planning and priests coming in and. I had to keep leaving the room and going back in and I would hold her whole hand rested on the top of my baby nail. Like, I'm just really angry. Yeah. Because, you know, even of recent of late, I'm wondering, does anyone have a photo of my child's face? Because I just can't. I don't think that's something that I'll never rest with because who books a flight for a woman to come home at 10 o'clock in the morning? After giving birth, I didn't have a procedure. I didn't go and get my boobs done or something. I went and had a baby. Who plans things to be that way? I begged and I begged this day. And I remember being so jealous of looking at the priest holding my child for a blessing. And I never got to hold her, I only got to touch her. I was not given enough time to to get the the courage to pick her up she was so small and so dainty it enraged me looking at the priest holding her and then all of a sudden you know I, I handed fingerprints and handprints and yeah beautiful books the nurses were absolutely amazing but like signing over documents to leave my child behind was probably one of the most heartbreaking things that I've ever had to do in my life and I hope it's the only thing heartbreaking I've ever got to do now for the rest of my life I screamed I held on to the walls you're leaving your baby not just in a hospital on their own but in a country on their own and I'm thinking of things like what if a a passerby goes into the wrong room and sees my child what if somebody goes in just to look at my child how long is she going to be left there for so many questions I didn't get answers from you know I was, I couldn't even walk I was just taken straight out of place in a wheelchair I, you know to leave her behind in a different country is absolutely disgusting and then to have to organise her being brought home like luggage on a plane and sign papers if I wanted her to be cut open to be tested basically that's what I saw it as as a child and I was like how can you even how can you even put a butter knife to, to <laughs> to my child like it's it's such mad crazy decisions that I had to do as as at that age yeah and then just put on a plane and back home and everyone got on with their lives and when you came back um when you came back to Ireland Jasmine was buried um it took a few weeks for Jasmine to get brought back to Ireland and that was another another time of life that that wasn't easy the minute I got home there was newspapers torturing me and all the rest but in between that I was trying to organise a funeral for a baby so I didn't understand that your baby didn't take a breath so she didn't in fact matter to be a real person Um, So I never got to go to the church And looking Like I know as an adult now That I actually was given Such a respectful service But back then I didn't feel that was the way You know I was only young Um, I had to organise The size of coffin She was going to be put in I had to organise where she going to go In a second coffin Because the crucifix Wouldn't fit in the first coffin I had the envisions Of her being on a flight And people who worked In the airport Holding her coffin Shaking it Being tugged around In the plane And you know And then even when She got home I was wondering You know if i go up to the funeral home will they let me see her face then there was always this i didn't get to see her effing face like you yeah. my own child but they did like my mother did and to this day and his mother and i think my partner at the time did as well the conversations that can't be had <sighs> there's so many things that can trigger it off and knowing that they got to see her face and I have to listen to how they describe her and take her from that or look at Adam and try and fix it I know she was gorgeous I know if she was the way she was meant to be she was going to be gorgeous and she's gorgeous to me but I don't feel arrested having not seen having not gotten the chance to see her and I did when she was buried after the funeral we had to go through which was an unusual experience too like I actually would sit at the side of the grave and I'm not joking I wanted to dig her up it would be my I would have to counsel myself to tell myself that even if I did she was going to be so much more deteriorated than what she was and I did I sat there many times at midnight when I'd fights with my partner that's where I went every time there was anything I went to the graveyard in the middle of the night didn't matter in the rain and I would think about digging up her coffin and there was even random moments years later where I'm like will I only to then have to think in my head she's 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 bones you know like but they were real moments they're real crazy irrational moments that I just I just really wanted I felt then as well like digging her up yeah I know I could get in trouble but at the same time I'd be like hold on it's my child it's my child's grave I, I, there was times where I was like should I not have the coffin in my house like she's my baby like it's, it, there's crazy things that happen to you when you go through some crazy things yeah
2: no one can understand what you've been through unless they have experienced it themselves. So I'm not going to patronize you by saying that I get how you feel because I I have no idea how that feels. If
3: anybody did say they understood me, I would probably be annoyed, to be honest. It would agitate me, even trying to get counselling. The many times I've had to sit with a counsellor and explain what Ankephaly means to the extent that by the time you nearly finish explaining the legalities of things as well they don't even understand like you they're they not even trained to the extent of what I have needed I was promised aftercare I was never given it anyone I've sent to was, was not qualified enough to deal with the traumas that I had to go through to even understand I feel like I was nearly teaching them a thing or two when I was sitting there I have had to self-counsel myself ever since this has happened and you know for every trauma that happens I believe you get stronger and stronger and thank God I've been able to see things in a different way and having Adam has I even thought about this recently if I hadn't had Adam when I did I believe I would definitely be in fear of getting pregnant for thinking that I could not carry a healthy child I am so grateful and thankful that he came straight away afterwards which was not planned but I wasn't being careful once again So
2: within a short period of time
3: I had basically Irish twins if once they both were here. Yeah, Yeah. they were both both within a year. Like I gave birth to two children within a year. Um, And the whole the pregnancy was I didn't tell people till I was about five months pregnant because of the previous one. And I was well looked after in hospital. But even in the birth, the birth of Adam was absolutely traumatic because it took me right back to Jasmine and that's it again. Thank God I dealt with that's like more counseling than you can be given because I would have feared the pregnancy and the birth but I had to deal with it and get on with it you just have to you have to give birth the baby has to come out so thank God that happened so quickly afterwards and although I didn't want to push Adam out when I was halfway through the labour he came out and he came out a healthy chubby little baby boy that changed my whole life forever yeah, and he's a teenager now. Oh, he is indeed. He is. He is a teenager. That reminds me of being a teenager, and he can't pull the wool over my eyes. It's a very interesting time of life right now because I know how important it is to go the left or right way in life, you know. And he's yeah. living in the same area that I was living in when I went the wrong way. So it's like I drilled into him, you know. Anytime I see an inkling of bad behavior, I'm on his case, like. But he's been my best friend. Like, we've gone on our holidays and around together. We we did everything together. Now, he won't go anywhere with me because he's a teenager. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm an yeah, embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. But he's literally been the light and shine in my life. I mean, four weeks after he was born, I went back to school. Yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah. Like you did I, your leaving. Yeah, I did my leaving uh, for him, for a better life for him. I don't know if I would have done that had it been just for me. Yeah. Um, a year after he was born, I left my partner. I, I decided that he was not going to
1: see
3: arguments that were happening in the house anymore you know I, I, I'm i very proud of myself for doing that at 18 deciding I was going to live a life on my own with a child I did it I went straight back into college um, I, I finished college as well I did two years in college I worked two and three jobs at a time just to have the lifestyle for me and Adam that I remember I did have as a child. And now your relationship with your mother is actually very good as well because we did talk so sad about my mom that was a like a four-year stint of a terrible time from the moment i kept it very quiet what was going on in my relationship with adam's father it was it was really bad um and she became aware of it i believe from the moment she seen her daughter was in a very bad situation that was it that was it they the, i just remember she didn't drink anymore. She, you know like it took a bit of time but she was there straight away if I didn't have her I wouldn't have been able to do the courses do the college, do the jobs do all the fun things I've gotten to do since she's, she's literally been stuck to my hip I think God bless her she's been tr- trying to forever make up for the hard time we went through and she's overdoing it at this stage which doesn't need to stop but, she's, but she, she no more there could be there more than what she is for me now she's like my shadow
2: I'm so delighted to hear that that you have that back again despite everything you've gone through the book is really really powerful and I wish you the very best with it. It's called I Am Amy Dunn and it's written with the help of Orlo O'Donnell the legal affairs correspondent for RT. it is out now and I just wish you all the very best for the future thank you so much for being here today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you
2: Amy's strength and integrity throughout her court case helped to empower so many others who found themselves in a similar situation afterwards. I think she's amazing, and I wish her all the love and luck in the world. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations.